Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. It ain't fit for man or beast out there today, Rhino. I got to tell you, man. It's a little not- chilly, a little wet, iced over in North Mississippi. <laughs> Just not, not the kind of uh, chamber of commerce weather, as they say, you want today. What about the ice? We get any overnight? Uh, not in central or south Mississippi, but there was another dose of freezing rain for portions of north Mississippi, especially to the northwest. I haven't okay. seen any reports of major power outages or major highways being iced over, but I have seen several reports of local power outages and local roads being iced over. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, a bit nasty out there. I think it's moving out here today, clearing yeah, off tomorrow. Yeah, it should tomorrow. be done by tonight some point, and then uh, not going to be the sunniest of weekends, but the sun is going to stick its head out, and the temperatures are going to climb, and it's going to be a lot nicer weekend than it has been for the uh, the week so far. Yeah, I totally agree. So on the program today, Sean Tindall, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety. That'll be in the next segment at 1020. And then at 12.05 today, Fred Shanks, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives. He represents Rankin County. That's District 60. He, of course, the chair of the House Constitution Committee. All right, give me the numbers. How many, uh, you told me this after the show yesterday, how many bills, what's the latest on that? How many bills made it and uh, survived? How many did not? Well, if you look at the total number of bills filed, there were almost 1,500 bills in the House filed. It was 1,495. Okay. Out of nearly 1,500 bills filed, 531 are still alive in the House. Hmm. On the Senate side, they filed almost 1,000 bills with 960. And out of the 960 filed on the Senate side, 382 are still alive. Okay. That's a whole bunch of bills there, isn't it? It's a lot to still go through. So, of course, we had a conversation yesterday with Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, and I asked him about the comments in the governor's State of the State address earlier this week, 
But it's pretty clear the governor is ready to repeal the certificate of need laws in the state of Mississippi. Uh, the acronym, of course, in the more informal way of describing those laws would be the CON laws, Certificate of Need. So we asked the Speaker about that yesterday, where he stands on that. He clearly is in favor of repealing those rather arcane statutes. For our audience, uh, Rhino, we can explain this here. Essentially what it means is if you want to uh, start uh, a new health care business of, of certain sorts, say you want to build a new hospital, certain medical clinics, you want to buy certain medical equipment. Like an MRI or an X-ray. Right. Uh, even expand an existing hospital. You want to add uh, rooms, facilities, etc. Sometimes services as well. That Those have to be submitted as a, an application in the form of an application for a certificate of need to the Department of Health in the state of Mississippi, and the Department of Health then would evaluate that request and either approve it or reject it. These are laws that go back to the 70s. I believe the state of New York may even been the city of New York, but it goes back to the 70s. These were implemented, and it's crazy to think that the rationale for them was to protect the free market and to not oversaturate the market with health care facilities and the supply of health care, the market, in other words, being controlled by government, the supply thereof. And it was to maintain some degree of stability. The fear was, we're going to have too many hospitals, too many MRI machines. They won't be able to make it. Well, the market will sort that out, as it does in other industries. Oversupply equals lower costs. Supply constraints equal higher costs. Geez, everybody gets that, given the experience we just had in the COVID era. All we heard about was supply constraints. So these laws exist in Mississippi. There are, the number escapes me, it seems like it's 12, 15 states still maintain uh, certificate of need laws. And this is something that I have been encouraging the repeal of because I, not that I have a dog in the hunt. I don't get paid either way here. I just feel like it's bad policy and I feel like it's government intervention in an industry where it should not. And, and health care is no exception to that. Uh, so the government makes the call here in the state of Mississippi with respect to construction and implementation of uh, new hospitals, health care facilities, machines, as we said. And bills have been offered to repeal those in the past, and they never make it. I don't think they ever make it out of committee, and that's what happened again here in Mississippi. 
I think three or four were offered, as I recall, in the, on the House side. One was taken to the committee, essentially, kind of the one that would, if it should pass, would be the one that they adopted as carrying the flag to repeal, if, if you will, metaphorically speaking, to repeal the CON, and it didn't get out of committee. Once again, which indicates there's a powerful lobby at work that opposes this, I would argue that if I were in that business and laws were on the books to prohibit competition to my business, I'd probably fight for that too. But it's it's pretty risky to rely on the government to protect your private sector entity. That's what's happening here. That means that without government protection, you can't sustain your value proposition will not be received by the market, and thus you're not a viable entity without government protection. That doesn't sound like free market capitalism to me. That sounds like central planning socialism. But here we go again, and you can hear the long list of all the reasons why we should keep those laws in place. I've heard them over and over and over again. I don't agree with any of them. So in a state that is certainly struggling with respect to health care, where we've got numerous hospitals that are in financial trouble, and they're not just in the rural areas of Mississippi. I know that's where we tend to focus. Maybe their situations are more urgent because they've got fewer assets in reserve to withstand the tough times. But it's definitely a problem. And on the other side of the equation, from a consumer perspective, from a patient perspective, seems like the price keeps going up. Premiums, cost of care, etc. I think most people are experiencing that. Cost of drugs, that whole ecosystem is brutally complicated when you insert the pharmacy benefit managers, also known as the PBMs, into that equation. I know there have been numerous meetings down at the Capitol with respect to the PBM portion of the ecosystem. I don't know what has become of that at this point. But it just is common sense to me that we should rid the state of these laws I would also argue that you could apply the same principle to the bill that would restrict the sale of automobiles, vehicles, in this state, such that they can only be purchased from independent dealerships, brick-and-mortar storefronts, which exist in the state, which to me is just con for cars. It's certificate of need for cars. It's getting permission from the government to sell a legal product through a mode. It's multimodal approach to, to selling. It's here to stay. It's not going away. We're coming right back with Commissioner Sean Tindall after the break here. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
We are back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi Middays. Our guest now is Sean Tindall, the Commissioner of the Department of Public Safety. Good morning, Commissioner. Good to have you with us today, sir. Good morning, Gerard. Good to be with y'all. Yes, sir. Saw you down at the Capitol, I think, a couple of days ago. Figured you were busy meeting with legislators, and that's why we wanted to have you on the program today to give us an update on uh, some bills that you're working with our lawmakers on with respect to the Department of Public Safety. Yeah, I can tell you, you know, obviously it's an election year, so we decided to keep it a little bit light on our bill requests, but... uh, we do have a couple of things that are that are making their way through the legislature that I, that I feel are important and hopefully uh, will continue to, to stay alive and work their way through the process. All right. Any, any details you can share with us, Commissioner, at this point about those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of, one of the biggest ones that we've been a proponent of this year, and we've been working with the Mississippi Department of Education on it, uh, the School Safety Alliance, um, is the school guardian bill. And what this would do basically is allow teachers or school staff, if they had an enhanced carry permit or a, a concealed carry permit, to volunteer and the school district approved them doing this to be a part of our guardian program. And with that, these individuals would get two to three weeks of training. Um, they would learn self-defense tactics. They would learn firearm tactics. They would um, learn communication with law enforcement um, and in an effort to if we're going to have teachers in schools with, with a firearm that they have the proper training and an interaction plan with law law enforcement and with this uh, as the bills proposed they could get a stipend much like a ball coach would get for the extra effort that they're having to put out there and they're also going to be subject to training um, when they when they first get approved but also recertification Hmm. Uh, and we feel like it's just a good good step to help make schools safer. We obviously feel like school resource officers are the best option, but we also know that that's not always going to be realistic in every school across the state, uh, that we're going to have a law enforcement officer there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So uh, we feel like it's a good alternative, and, and if schools can already do this, we just want them, if they're going to do it, to have this option to provide those teachers or staff with better training. Gotcha. So would this in, in any way involve uh, state troopers? No, it, it's really the Mississippi Office of Homeland Security that's going to be heading it up. Um, we are going to work with all the law enforcement at the Department of Public Safety to help facilitate the training. Um, it would be done at Malota or other training academies across the state. And, uh, you know, really as an, it'd be an agency-led effort bringing in NBN, Homeland Security, Highway Patrol, NBI, uh, all our divisions that we feel like can assist uh, with the training. Yeah, makes sense. The uh, the Capital Complex Improvement District, is, is the DPS involved in that in any way? I know this generally would extend jurisdiction of the Capitol Police, but is there a role for uh, the Highway Patrol? Well, when it comes to you know the Capitol Police, they've obviously been doing a great job. And, and there are multiple occasions when We've had NBN come in, we've had Highway Patrol come in, we've had NBI come in and help with saturation details uh, within the city of Jackson and within the Capital Improvement District. Um, obviously, if they expand it, uh, there's going to be a greater responsibility for Capital Police within that expanded area. Um, in the beginning, at least, until they can get their forces up, 
Um, you know, we're probably going to call on and request the help of MHP and CTED, uh, MBN and MBI to do what they always do and, and answer the call and, and try to help yeah. make the city and state safer. Yeah. How are we doing with respect to the new cadet class that is presently going through the academy? You know, that's very exciting. This will be the fourth trooper school that we've had in four years. Governor Reeves has been extremely supportive, as the legislature has with us doing these annual trooper school classes, and we're hoping to continue that trend in the future. Uh, this class started off at about 75. Uh, we have a mix of prior certified law enforcement and ones that will be new law enforcement officers. And we've set up training different. If, if they're prior certified, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter program uh, than the ones that are coming in and they're having to do it from scratch. So uh, we feel like this helps us get those with prior experience out on the road a little bit quicker, uh, which is a good thing. And we, uh, we're we looking forward to having a, a solid class come out again this year. Yeah. I know the training, I'm sure, constantly evolves just to respond to the ever-changing landscape of uh, the response with respect to the responsibilities of state troopers. Any, anything in particular that's now been injected into the training that's of interest? Well, obviously, you know, we, we, we have to teach them more about the law, the Constitution. We want them prepared that when they encounter folks on the road, they, they understand not only their job, but the rights of the individuals that they're, they're you know, patrolling. And so, uh, we spend a lot more time on the academic side of things, uh, but we also, you know, when it comes to our troopers, we want them physically fit and strong and, and able to handle themselves because often they're out on the road by themselves. Uh, backup is 20, 30 minutes away at best, and, and so we're, hmm. we're, we're very cognizant of making sure that they have the proper training to self-defense techniques and, and, and their own safety as well as those that they're trying to uh, patrol. So uh, it, it's a tough school. I think anybody would tell you it's the, the toughest uh, law enforcement school in the state, and, and that's for good reason. Yeah. A any uh, tools or, or resources or assets that have, have come onto the scene that can uh, aid the troopers in, in fulfilling their responsibilities? I think so. You know, I know in, in the beginning people were reluctant to have dash cams and body cams and things of that nature yeah. uh, in their vehicle. Law enforcement sometimes can be resistant to change, but I think if you ask across the country and the state, uh, when, when we have that type of equipment, it, it does more to protect the officers than than anything else, and it does create accountability. If you've got officers that are doing things incorrectly, uh, you know you got video proof of the interaction, and so that that's a good thing. I can tell you, we're in the process of uh, purchasing body cams uh, for okay. Highway Patrol and Capitol Police and and all the law enforcement in our division. Uh, we've never had that, and so I'm I'm very anxious to get those body cams on there to protect our officers. Yeah, yeah, and I I think uh, there's so folks are so quick uh, to point out and bring up some sort of grievance in an interaction with with a law enforcement officer. This this really is more of an insurance policy to just to make sure that when that occurs, you've got some video evidence of the interaction. Look, it creates accountability all the way around, yeah. and and so it, and it really it's expected these days, and and we're behind the curve on getting it for the state law enforcement officers. But uh, I, I've made that a priority, and and we're working with uh, Motorola to to get those added uh, to our to our arsenal so that we can help protect the officers and and really protect the public. Something that was uh, in focus. Uh 
Right after you uh, took this position, Commissioner, was uh, uh, driver's license renewals. That situation seems to have improved dramatically. Uh, we've we've done a lot to try to help embrace technology. Uh, I know that was your business before <laughs> you you became a radio star, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's something you got to do in today's world. And when you do, you find that it helps you provide better customer service and and. By doing things like mobile ID and, and setting up our appointment systems and pushing more uh, renewals to online, uh, it, it's really helped those that do have to come in so they don't have to sit there and wait for four hours to, to get a driver's license or a firearm permit. And, and, and my mission to our folks is to, to be simple. We're going to expand our digital footprint, and we're going to try to minimize our physical footprint. And with that, we're going to provide better services all the way around. Yeah, it's a great mission. So I, I would like to pass on that my wife and I have experience in the last year renewing our license, and it's very positive. Everybody's great. It was very simple, just as you said. It was painless. We used the digital tools in and out, nothing to it. Uh, substantial improvement, so uh, you're to be uh, applauded for that, and in the entire team, of course, behind the scenes that executes that on a daily basis, as you know. Appreciate that. That's that's good work. Absolutely. They, they they do a great job, and, and I can tell you the folks that work at driver services, we've had a lot of good people there. And, and look, Highway Patrol did a great job running it for years, sure. but the reality is the folks that work there had no pathway yeah. to end up being the leaders in the organization. So now they have that. It's incentivized them. It's improved morale, and, and I think it's really heading in a great direction. How are we doing recruiting? You know, that's a challenge, I think, for all law enforcement at this point. Um, I've been adamant when I talk to local leaders, you, you've got to step up and pay your law enforcement officers more. Yeah. Um, you know, a minimum salary for a law enforcement officer in the state ought to start at 40. Uh, the custom ought to be at least 50. And yeah. So we got to do a better job of that if we're wanting to recruit the right candidates. Gotcha. Commissioner, appreciate the update, sir, and, and please uh, ex- express our gratitude, as always, to the men and women that uh, serve this state as state troopers. We really appreciate their service. They do a fantastic job. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We can't thank them enough. Appreciate y'all. Yes, sir. We're coming right back with more here on Middays. Please stay with us. Supertalk.fm. Days with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Supertalk Mississippi. Fourteen twenty-five and forty ninety-eight. I throw the rock and roll party on my last birthday, but it's good. I rock in my life away. I've been moving and I'm grooving and I get the great Jerry Lee Lewis on middays. Super talk, Mississippi. What did the groundhog say this morning, Rhino? Puxatani Fell saw his shadow, so we have six more weeks of winter. Well, the heck with him. <laughs> I'm tired of it already. Be gone with you, winter. Man. You gotta love all the festivities though, when they pull him out and he looks like he's trying to get away from them. Then they <laughs> unfurl this scroll with a poem on it, <laughs> and they they have a pinned mo- by Phil himself apparently. I think I heard they have a mobile stump. They can oh yeah, with it. 
The guy's got the top hat on. It's very formal. The stump is only his temporary home, oh. not to not to ruin the the K-fab for anybody, but he does have rather lush, luxurious uh, accommodations besides the stump. Okay. Probably wants to get home to his wife, Phyllis, or something like that. Three o'clock in the morning they start that, right? Oh, yeah. It's a big deal. and and Thousands of people turn up. Yeah, and then afterwards, they all go out and drink. It's a big drinking event, isn't it? All right, six more Well, I mean, when you get up that far north, they're always looking for an excuse to drink and stay indoors. That's true. Oh, geez. So... I had it backwards in the in the first segment about, and I apologize for that, about the CON laws. It's 15 states that have repealed them, not 15 states that still have con laws in place. Mississippi's one of the 35 that still has them in place. And what's a little shocking is if you if you look at the map of that, you wouldn't expect that you would see Mississippi among those that have con laws, and California among those that do not. What does that tell you? So these are still in place in 35 states. Louisiana has repealed them. Texas has. Florida still has them. To our north, Tennessee, our east, Arkansas, to our, uh, pardon me, west, Arkansas, to our east, Alabama, Georgia, the Carolinas all still have CON laws in place. South North Dakota do not. The home of Governor Big Gretch, Gretchen Whitmer, Michigan, does not. Neither does Pennsylvania. Hmm. How about that? So I said I thought they originated in the 70s. It was actually in the 60s, but the late It was in the 60s in New York. It was in the 70s when it became federal. Okay. So I was right. New York's where it all got, the the idea got started. And then in the 70s became federal. Then I think the federal government, some point after that, repealed it and and sent it back to the states, as I recall, the progression. Yeah, there was a little confusion when I was reading over it because it was passed as federal law by Congress under Richard Nixon. But it was signed by Gerald Ford. Oh, okay. It happened right around that time when Nixon was going, peace, I'm out. Yeah. And the original purpose, this always always kind of shocked me. Uh, Con programs were designed to control health care costs by restricting services and determining whether new capital expenditures met a community need. That's what you want is government figuring that out. Oh, yeah. How can anyone not look at that and say, oh, yeah, that's just blatant central planning socialism? What am I missing here? Control health care costs? By reducing supply or controlling, regulating supply? How's that working out? (laughs) I don't think that's working out too well. I don't think the goals have been achieved. Best I can tell. So in the state of Mississippi, I did a little bit of research on that. You probably saw the same rhino. Yeah, to build a new facility... 
add beds to an existing facility, purchase certain diagnostic equipment, MRI machines come to mind? Well, they, they've been a part of it since the very beginning because MRI was cutting-edge technology when this first became law. So we got to restrict the number we have? Look, you don't want the small town to spend seven hundred thousand to a million dollars on a machine and then it not ever get paid off. Oh, so the people who made that investment just don't have a clue what they're doing then, right? May not according to the government, no. Ah, I got it. But the people down there, the government, they understand those economics. Oh yeah, they they know the medical system better than the doctors. They know the education system better than the teachers. <laughs> they know your bank account better than you do. I'm getting the picture now. I am. Yeah, they're the smartest people in the room, even though they all act like idiots. <laughs> but wait, we're a conservative state. We embrace free market economics, do we not? Supposedly. That's why we got to tell you how you're going to buy a car. So we have this bill that I understand is going to be voted on today in the Senate. You know it already passed the House, overwhelmingly. Now we got one the same bill in the Senate, and so then the government's going to tell you how you can buy a car. Isn't that nice? You don't know what you're doing. We can't let you use your, your phone or your PC, your device connected to the Internet. I have an idea about that. It occurred to me overnight. How many of these dealers, brick-and-mortar storefront dealers in our state, Use the Internet to sell vehicles. A big chunk of them. All of them? Certainly. I would say the ones that aren't utilizing the Internet for sales are already on their way out. Agree. Would you not agree that a lot of folks, if they're in the market for a car, they may go, let's say, to the manufacturer's website, look at the vehicle models, they have these really cool tools that allow you to configure it exactly like you want it. Oh, yeah, and that's nothing new. I mean, I was I graduated high school in 2004, but before I graduated high school, I got bored in one of the computer classes because I'd finished my project for the day. So I logged on to the Maserati website <laughs> and built myself a Maserati. Your own personal oh, Maserati. Oh, yeah, $175,000 in 2003, so it's probably a half a million or more nowadays. At least. But... And all oh, the, the color scheme and everything, ugly as sin. I, I've actually gone back and looked at it. But I could design and pick out everything I wanted on the Internet in 2003, 20 years ago. And funny enough, to this day, I still get emails from Maserati saying, hey, we've got a driver training course. If you, if you want to learn how to race, you can come to this. It costs $10,000. <laughs> so a friend of mine who listens on a regular basis, his family was in the automobile dealer business for quite some time, very successful, sold out. He just said, it's all of them. So I believe it. So you know, though, you can go to those sites, do those configurations. may not have been available when you were doing it, but certainly today, with all the geofencing and stuff and the integration of um, uh, GPS with the Internet, that was actually a transformational technology, if you think about it. And I always knew that if we ever figure out a way to get these two things together, that's going to be huge. I'd pretty much say that's huge. So with GPS, you just put your, your zip code in, and the next thing you know, here's the dealers want to check their stock, right? Oh, yeah. 
Easy. Nothing to it. Any device connected to the Internet, you're able to do that. And you could hit a button and send it to them. And what are they going to do? Okay, we'll order that for you, wait six months, and then they're just going to hand the keys off to you. That's, that's the transaction. With about ten to $15,000 or $20,000 more on the price tag. At the rate it is right now, with the shortage, that's, that's, uh, that's moderating somewhat. But, but you get the idea. So the idea that I have, so we're talking about we need these, these laws to level the playing field. You've heard that. Oh, yeah. As a justification for why we can't allow manufacturers of vehicles to sell those direct to the public in Mississippi using all this fancy technology we have, using this thing called the Internet, well, why don't we level the playing field by prohibiting the car dealers from using the Internet? How about that? Doesn't that level the playing field? See, I know it's ridiculous. I get it, folks. The point is, the government's not in the business of leveling the playing field. That's the fundamental flaw in the argument. we got to level the playing field. No, you're not a participant in the game. Butt out. The market, the sellers and the buyers, they are the primary parties. They are the only parties. Maybe some financial parties involved as well. But they don't dictate the route to market as this government is attempting to do. This is CON for cars. I'm disappointed, honestly, that in this state that we would allow this to happen, where we're limiting choice, limiting competition, and forcing consumers to procure vehicles through only a state-approved model. We're coming right back here on Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone to midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Don't forget today it's in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, and you'll hear an interview with attorney, author, and producer Mike Frascona. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Okay, I got a little connection to Mr. Frascona I'd like to share. What's that? He coached me in football in sixth grade. And his wife was my fifth grade teacher, who was also a classmate of my deceased brother. How about that? 
It's a small world. Yes, it is. Great family, the Frascona family, and have been in the entertainment business. I'm sure that's why, production business, that's why Steve knows them for a long time. Great Jackson folks. I am uh, Bo in Indianola asks, I am getting ready to open a used car lot. Do I have to get permission to do that now? Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> right. <laughs> get the paddle out. <laughs> in fairness, this is only dealing with new That's vehicles. That's right. That's right. It's only new vehicles. The, Still a bad bill. This but. is the inevitable reality of disruption. They know it. But it's election year, I fear, is the reason. And I also said, I also maintain, as we said yesterday, that you socialize with the folks that own these dealerships. You, you see them at church. You see them at school. You see them in the community. I get it. I really do. And the people that are about to big time turn this industry upside down, the Apples, Googles, Rivians, Lucids, Teslas of the world, because they ain't done. You know that. I mean, Apple hasn't even started producing and shipping. You think they got enough assets and resources to make that happen? Yeah. Will they succeed at it? I don't know. But they're willing to invest billions in it. They're pretty smart folks, I would say. Most profitable, valuable company on the planet. And they're not likely, they certainly have announced at this point, their intention to sell direct. And, and so it's inevitable. I, I definitely, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't feel sympathetic. It's not the right word for the dealers, but I can identify having run a business that, where I had to navigate the treacherous waters of disruption my entire dang career. Honestly, there hasn't been a lot to that industry, if you think about it, in terms of the route to market. I mean, we've been accustomed for as long as I can remember to going and shopping around at the local dealers. Sometimes you just go to one and knock out your best deal. Sometimes you maybe go to multiple. And for the most part, those manufacturers protect those dealers with respect to a geographic territory, so as not to saturate them. And that's just a, a business decision they've made. Otherwise, they likely couldn't attract people to invest and be dealers. they got to give them a protected territory. I worked in an industry where I invested mightily as well to be able to represent and partner with uh, major technology manufacturers. They didn't give you squat. I can tell you that. You could sell anywhere on the planet, and by the way, your competitors may come from anywhere on the planet and had to deal with that. But there's a huge difference in, say, a Ford or a Dodge or any manufacturer protecting their own dealers. That's right. That's their choice. Compared to the government protecting all dealers. Completely agree. I'm not suggesting that that, that was a bad business decision on the part of those manufacturers whatsoever. I totally agree. That is an agreement between the parties, franchisor, franchisee. Makes perfect sense to me. And just as I knew when I signed up to be an IBM partner in 1986, you don't get any protected territories. You want to do this? Okay, fine. Here are all the requirements you got to meet. Once you get that, we'll We'll uh, add you to the list of authorized IBM dealers. We call it the medallion. 
back then because they give you a sticker you had to put in the door when that was the way of doing business. And it looked like a medallion. It was gold, had the, the, the nine bar, I think it is, IBM, iconic IBM logo. And those medallions is what we called them. But IBM said, you understand, it's a free-for-all out there, dude. Whatever you can do, have at it. We love it because that just means more for us. And you just had to navigate through that. But you accepted that. You knew that going into, just as these franchisees know, they have a protected territory. That's perfectly fine. But the government shouldn't protect them against the natural, inevitable forces of disruption, innovation, technology, and new routes to market. Figure out your value proposition and go to work. Otherwise, you're at risk if you don't change and adapt and adopt. We're coming right back on Middays After the News. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And we got Morgan Wallen coming, right, Rhino? Oh, yeah. We got a giveaway. When does that come? Uh, it's already started, but the concert will be at Vault Hemingway Stadium on Sunday, April 23rd. All right. And you can register to win tickets by going to Weathers Auto Supply in Tupelo, Southern Business Supply in Meridian, or the Be Quick in Brookhaven, and many more. Go to supertalk.fm slash Morgan Wallen to find the full list of registration locations. The winners of these tickets will get two sweet seat tickets to see Morgan Wallen perform at Vaught Hemingway Stadium on Sunday, April 23rd. This Morgan Wallen ticket giveaway is brought to you by First South Farm Credit, King's Daughters Medical Center, Jumpstart Test Prep, and Toyota of Brookhaven. That'd be a cool way to take in the concert from the Super Talk Suite oh, yeah. into the Vaught. Sweet, sweet seats. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So on the ceasefire tax line, Paula Meridian asks, question, you were very informed and intelligent, and I trust your opinion. Appreciate that, Paul. Thank you. How long would it take the government just to recover the billions of dollars of initial investment in these new IRS agents? Well, if you look at the CBO analysis on that, Paul, it's, it's a little tough to follow because remember that all of these sorts of, of budgetary items that are included in legislation, the CBO scores, over a 10-year period. A lot of folks don't realize that. And, and the dead gum people up in Washington, especially the Democrats, have a, have a tendency to throw those 10-year numbers at, out 
but give the impression that's all for one year. Like the Trump tax cuts. I know I've railed on that so many times, but because they keep doing it, and it makes me mad. Two trillion dollars of Trump tax cuts. No, it was 1.5. I don't know where the heck they came up with the two, because that's not what the CBO said. And it's over 10 years, so it's $150 billion a year in a $6 trillion budget. Except they were wrong, because guess what? Taxes, tax revenue went up under the Trump tax cuts. They don't ever point that little detail out. Now, I'll admit, to a great extent, that's because you drop money out of helicopters that folks went out and spend. And then you get mad because the companies make money. Well, you gave all the people money to spend with them. You just dropped it out of thin air. Oh, that caused inflation and gas to shoot up to four bucks. Oh, so there's a price to pay for that. Well, folks with half of an economic brain understood that. That doesn't fit the profile of most folks in Washington, does it? So the way it works out, just looking at it, Paul, it's, it's expected to generate $203 billion of additional revenue over 10 years. So just eyeballing, I'm looking at an analysis that begins in 23 and extends out to uh, 32, and it it looks like it would take one, two, three, four, about seven years to recover the 80 billion of cost. So most of the money really comes on the back end when they sort of get all these new audit procedures and systems in place that help them detect uh, taxpayer evasion and anomalies. Of course, they're still telling you it's this won't affect you if you make less than 400000 except the numbers don't work. There isn't enough to hit their $200 billion target, just focusing on those that are over it. So just keep in mind, once again, we're talking about a whole lot of hassle, a whole lot of inconvenience, a whole lot of harassment and stress for what amounts to a tiny amount of money. $120 billion, to be exact, net over a 10-year period of time. And that's assuming the CBO estimated it correctly. And nobody ever seems to go back, just as we have here on the program. Oh, you said the Trump tax cuts were going to cost a trillion and a half, but in fact the revenues are up. Did you go back and produce a revised model? I don't think so. But that's how we roll. Dan in Hattiesburg says, if you buy an Apple car, well, you have to trade it in every two years to prevent throttling. <laughs> well, that, of course, refers to the battery life of these devices. And there's all kinds of new technology I'm sure you've seen that helps to cure that and aid with that. It's pretty inexpensive technology as well, and that's just a function of, of uh, lithium batteries and just the battery life. In, in constantly <clears throat> charging batteries. Well, another issue with that is the manufacturers tout the capacities and lifetimes of these batteries, but they they use numbers based on if you are using the battery in the most efficient and best way for the battery. That's right. I mean, these, these cell phone batteries work a lot like a, a bucket you're using to carry concrete. <laughs> 
If you don't get all the concrete cleared out of the bottom of the bucket and it solidifies, you have less bucket to use the next time. That's right. So unless you're using your battery all the way down to zero and letting it discharge and then charging it all the way back up to 100%, it's degrading faster than they're advertising. Gotcha. And that and that's not anything new. No. We've known that the health of batteries is better. They get memory is what happens. And so totally uh, draining the batteries and then recharging them is actually better for the battery than it is partially draining them and then charging them. I know that doesn't always work out, but what Rhino's saying there, I mean, what you're saying is you really need to run them all the way down or close to it then charge them up and get a full charge. That extends the life of the battery and, the, and uh, it, when you're using it and the phone itself, which can slow down sometimes when the battery starts to get weak. All, all makes sense. So if uh, on the ceasefire text line, by the way, it's 601-879-4395. So if this dealership legislation passes so overwhelmingly, maybe we should do a better job of explaining conservatism to our representatives. But rule number one is free markets. I, I agree. And this is why I've spent a lot of time talking about this. And I know there's lots of other legislation that uh, needs to be discussed as well, and, and I appreciate that. But I, I do think this is it's very telling. I think it's indicative in so many ways, and even though it only pertains to one industry, in this case the retail vehicle industry in the state of Mississippi, I think it does say a lot about where folks stand. And I'm disappointed because I do think this thing's likely to be, be enacted into law. It will be interesting to watch how the governor reacts to this legislation <clears throat> once it makes it to his desk. I don't know at this point. And I've heard all of the explanations I care to at this point, all of the rationale for passing this legislation. And I just don't agree with it. I deeply respect all these people that are involved with this, that I've spoken to at the Capitol. They're they're friends. They're people that I I think a lot of. I think they're good lawmakers. It's got nothing to do with that. And I should also point out, just for full disclosure, I don't make a dime off of this. I'm not getting paid by anybody. I'm not a registered lobbyist. I can buy a car anywhere I want. That's not the issue. The issue is, I just think this is bad policy for business um, in Mississippi. I think it sends the message, in fact, that Mississippi is not open for business. It's closed for business. I said as much in the article I wrote, and I go back to what the governor said when he was campaigning, and I believe him. I do think he wants Mississippi to be the best place in, in the country to do business. And I think he's held to that commitment. Unfortunately, if he signs this bill, I'm not sure. And and I'm certainly open to hearing his rationale. It would be unfair to be critical of that without hearing his side. I think that's just part of the the discourse, respectful discourse. And I don't know. I'm not trying to speculate uh, how he'll act whatsoever. But in my personal opinion, this is bad policy. We've already seen the CON bill go down. And this isn't the first time, as you know, Rhino, this has come up 
five or six times in the past, gets squashed in committee every single dang time. I, I don't get it. It's completely counter and contrary to the principles of free market economies. And I think who gets harmed here are consumers. Who gets protected is, is really a small fragment of our population. But we'll step aside for a break here. We're in the Element Well Studios and coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. Rick Wakeman and Yes Roundabout bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We're back in the Element Well Studios on this. Friday Eve. Bo in Indianola says, one thing people do not think about is all the jobs that it will affect going to all electric cars, car mechanics, people that work at parts stores, etc., people at gas stations. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. I lived it. I had an army of PC technicians back in the 80s. Remember those things? They'd break a lot. Had to go out and fix them. Because they cost seven, 8000 bucks. Now we just throw them away. So we had, to, we had to adapt to the changing times, the changing technology landscape. And, of course, we moved. That's also assuming that the adoption of EVs will be an overnight thing. And it won't be. It'll be They're gradual. sitting at roughly 10% of market share right now, even non-conservative estimates are showing the next 50 years it might hit 50-50. But should we... Right, uh, which is a great point. But should we... Should we just put the brakes on human innovation so we can protect, protect jobs? That's how we progress as a society. There, We have 11 million job openings. The Jolts report out Tuesday was shocking. I was worried that yesterday the Fed would react with even a higher rate increase than the quarter point they ended up applying to the Fed funds rate. I thought we were going to get a higher bump, but only because Tuesday the Jolts report, the Jolts report, by the way, is job opening, labor transfer. And what it said is, yeah, we still don't have enough people. So... 11 million jobs. Now, I can't help it. You may live where they're not. That's a, that's a problem. That's a mismatch problem that needs to be addressed, but it's not government's job to address it. So you could make countless cases through the years, Rhino, about how the job you're doing today is no longer needed tomorrow, but a whole new portfolio of jobs pops up that offer even greater opportunity, which is why it's very risky once you start a job and you're trained for that job and you've got the skills to do that job 
with the rate at which we see changes in the production and delivery and consumption of everything, you, you need to be nimble. You need to be aware of that and agile because we're all subject to losing our job to innovation. Simple as that. You've seen the chat GBT stuff. How crazy is that? Think about how just that little piece of that application of artificial intelligence could render lots of jobs either unnecessary or less needed. There's no doubt about it. Truck drivers are subject to disruption with autonomous vehicles. It's coming. Like you said, it ain't next year, but it is coming. Insurance companies, by the way, they're aware that the eventual transition to AVs, autonomous vehicles, is going to change their business model. Fewer accidents. Fewer deaths. That's a good thing. So, less need for insurance. Lower cost insurance because the rate of claims will go down. That's coming. It just is. I just... We don't have enough hours to talk about all the ways in which human innovation has caused certain, certain jobs, certain occupations to either no longer be needed or needed to a lesser degree. We need less of them. We, we had Mike McCormick in here a couple of weeks ago talking about John Deere and all the new technology they got coming out with respect to farming implements, and the result of that will be we need fewer people farming, and we're going to produce more, be more effective, more efficient, more yields. Heck, I, I think I've shared that statistic before because I can remember my old econ professor hammering this point that when we had 130 million people in this country in the 30s, a third of them were in the agriculture business. We couldn't eat, couldn't produce enough to feed ourselves, literally. Now it's less than... 3% of our population is in the agriculture business, and we feed the world. And that's 3% of uh, the 250 million people we got, or whatever it is, working. Got to include children in there that aren't full-time employees, aren't eligible to work yet. That's just the natural cycles of, of technology and innovation that we should embrace. You remember Walmart coming to town. Oh, they're putting all the mom-and-pop stores out of business. I know. I'm sorry as I can be about that, but who wins there? Who loses? See, that's the thing about capitalism. They're winners and losers. Just are. But we all have opportunity to be a winner. It affords opportunity. Central planning government socialism doesn't afford opportunity. It tries to it tries to level the playing field. That's what it tries to do, it attempts to do. It, uh, it is not where that should occur. The market is what dictates that, and that's what applies here. And in fact, I think a bill, if I'm not mistaken, was introduced, I don't know the status of it, to, to um, put some regulations in place for autonomous vehicles. That certainly will produce the need. That's absolutely true. It will produce the need for a whole new regulatory framework to deal with that. 
in a reasonable way. It changes the, the landscape dramatically. So there's lots of other examples of that. Tony it's and, still alive. That bill's still alive, right? Oh, yeah. yeah House Bill 1003. Okay. From so, Charles Busby. That's right. It's Busby. And I applaud Representative Busby. He's, he's getting ahead of this thing, which it should be. You can't just wake up one day, oh, man, we got these AVs all over the place, and, and we have all these, these issues in society that haven't been considered. Totally agree there. I will just turn everything upside down in that respect. <clears throat> Tony in Saltillo says, winners make things happen. Losers make excuses. Totally agree there. Tony, I, it makes us better. Innovation, competition, new routes to market, that breeds more innovation, more competition, more productivity. That's what produces wealth. That's why today you hear the left talking about poverty all the time, and what they never tell you is is the the percentage of the population on the planet, not just in this country, that are considered impoverished, poor, extremely poor. That's gone down dramatically as a result of improvements in technology. And that just doesn't apply to computers. When we talk about technology, we're just not talking about computers. We're talking about just any form of human innovation, any form of of value delivery and improvement for society. It could be anything. And we're all better off for it. If you're not participating in that good fortune, honestly, to a great extent, I think that's brought upon by, by yourself. Uh, the, the tools are available, widely available. Now, I've read all kinds of reports from Folks on the left that will say, no, that's, that's not the case. We've got to make sure everybody has access to that. Well, you're entitled to the opportunity, but you've got to leverage the opportunity. You can't be prodded into it. You can't be forced into it. You've got to have a little initiative and gumption on your own. And it's, it's just not accurate to make all these excuses about where I just didn't have access to that. I, I disagree. You got, there's more access to it than ever. One thing is we, we live in a connected world, and you can't say, well, I, I, can't, I don't have connections. No, it's pretty ubiquitous now. You, you can go to places. I mean, heck, even Biden says it's not right when school children are having to park in the McDonald's parking lot to get Wi-Fi. You've already made that case for Wi-Fi. So you've got to adapt. You've got to rejigger. Just simple as that. I mean, we're what? A decade, decade and a half out from the coining of the phrase, the Internet of Things? IoT. That's exactly right. We were pretty active in that world. You could see it coming, man. It's, it's here big time as well. Big time. We're coming right back with more here in the Element Well Studios on Middays. Attention, adoring fans! 
time. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> an oldie. Sausalito Summer Nights, Sausalito, California, eh? I'm surprised they let that they let that play in California because they're encouraging people to drive and enjoy the scenery in the Bay Area there. You left Frisco in your Rambler? <laughs> you can't do that. You're emitting carbon. Pox on you. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> oh, on the ceasefire tax line, uh, can you shed some light on the employee retention credit? Yeah, the ERTC program for which many small businesses are receiving large payment. Is this part of the CARES Act? Is it a good program? Well, <laughs> let me first answer the question is it part of the CARES Act? It is, and it applies to wages between, I think, March 1st, yeah, March 12th, March 12th, 2020, and January 1st, 2021. And the reason you're seeing a lot of advertising for it, you've seen there's consultants that'll help you with it. In fact, we had uh, Serena Flowers, remember, on the program a while back? She helps clients with that, filing, is a lot of folks just didn't take advantage of it. You can still file for it. Even uh, even though it only applied to that nine-month, roughly, period of time in 2020, that was right after the CARES Act was signed into law uh, by President Trump during the COVID era. And the idea was to encourage employee uh, employers to keep their employees on payroll. By the way, this is in addition to the PPP loans, which now we've learned were just absolutely rife with fraud. It's unbelievable how much fraud. Stolen Social Security numbers illegally obtained, digitally used to file PPP applications and receive money, many of which are foreign actors. Unbelievable. Uh, so it, it's um, a nine, Form 941X, X, and you can file that. You need to file that, I should say to show your adjusted employer's quarterly federal tax return. That's when you apply um, or file a return for payroll taxes every quarter. you got to do that. And so you just need to get some folks to help you with that. Um, to our listener on the Seaspire text line that asked about that, you can call the IRS. They actually are pretty good at helping. they got a lot of folks. They've beefed up their contact center. They're not bad, honestly, but local CPA or, or tax professional certainly could help you with that, but you are um, eligible for some money if you're a small business. It, it is it is thought, it is reported that about 8% of those that qualified filed for it for their 2020 tax returns, and about 12% 21, so there's a lot of folks out there. That's why you see all the advertising in promotion because it's it's understood that there's a lot of people that could take advantage of this. It's a, a, a bit obscure. So that's what's going on there. 
Mississippi has always been an unfriendly, uh, unfriendly to business. Example, the movie industry. That on the ceasefire text line. Paula Meridian says, I'm good to go with repairing washers and dryers. I suspect you're right, Paul. I think that'll carry you for a long time, my friend. What happened to natural gas? It is clean, burning fuel that is abundant. Why can't we use that? Well, we do in the state of Mississippi, but the federal government was hinting that the FTC, I think it was the FTC, was the agency, isn't that right? Was going to step in and prohibit the manufacture of new gas stoves. And that was met with a degree of resistance, even in the deep blue states where there are restaurants that say that the gas stove is just better in preparing their, their fare. And these are largely Democrat supporters in New York City and so forth, because you've seen, since the FTC's kind of tabled it, you've seen some states and cities, such as New York, California, move in. In fact, I believe it's been enacted in those states. New construction, no natural gas hookups. The legacy connections are, are good. They'll figure out some way, I'm sure, to get rid of those. As for its usage for locomotion, like in an engine of a vehicle, you do see it used in, I want to say, a majority of the waste management fleet. Uh, there are still some issues with putting it into consumer vehicles, just because of the size of the engine and the availability of natural gas to top off your engine. Yeah. That's why you see bigger vehicles and bigger companies using it compared to your everyday average person because those bigger companies can afford to have their own fuel stored on site instead of going to a station. That's right, and there are companies in the business of, of delivering that to them, supplying Correct. that to them. There's a, a distribution network. But it is used in the internal combustion engine similar to diesel and gasoline. It's yep. uh, It can be sparked. In yep. the internal combustion engine, very similarly, it's just a matter of storage, availability of the fuel, and the fact that it's still kind of an emerging technology. They still haven't worked out all the wrinkles in it. But the climate crowd says we can't use it because it's, it's non-renewable. Oh, okay. And it pollutes, right? That's the, that's their grievance about the gas stoves. It's There's some sort of particles or something. Yeah, they were trying to argue that, and that's one of the reasons they were trying to take away the gas stoves, or at least floating the idea. But then you look at the study that was conducted, and they basically sealed off a room, opened up the vents on the stove, and then lit it. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to stick around if you sealed off the room. Yeah. Nobody's kitchen is hermetically sealed. 53 homes were uh were tested by Stanford, I believe. Is, is Yeah, and they came in with plastic sheets and hermetically sealed the <laughs> kitchen to test it. It kind of reminds me of the lawsuits uh against Tylenol. And you know then what we learned is, well that's because you took a bottle of it. Well, yeah, you take a bottle of medicine like that probably going to eat away at your innards. And that's what happened. Especially something like Tylenol. Yeah. That's, I mean, it has that uh, effect already. Just a, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure four grams of acetaminophen is toxic. Okay. And to get to four grams, that's less than a full bottle of Tylenol. Okay. Isn't that essentially what the result is, though? It, it literally starts... Oh, yeah, it'll consuming. eat your liver alive. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, the flesh and the organs, but... You know, when you when these cases I remember 
were going to court and they'd, they'd really drill in through questioning, examination of witnesses, yeah, well, you didn't just take the recommended dosage here. Something else was going on, and now you want money. Of course. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Thomas and Greenwood says, Gerard probably remembers propane powered from back in the 70s and early 80s. I do. It was a big deal. In fact, I went to school, Rhino, with um, the members of the Blossman family. You've probably seen that Blossman gas. It became a pretty dead gum big company, and that was the business they were in. Yeah, I do remember that, and that was supposed to be, look, we figured out a way to, to extract this, uh, this clean-burning, inexpensive natural gas, which I still believe is the case, but the climate change folks, no, 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 <laughs> come up with reasons why you can't do that. It really is insane. Did you know that the state of Virginia... No, pardon me, Maryland. State of Maryland just passed a law that would incentivize employers <laughs> to implement a four-day work week. And I don't mean four ten-hour days, four eight-hour days. They have appropriated money, it's not a lot to start with, to pay employers to convert to a four-day, 32-hour week. And, of course, other states are now looking at this as well. They're going to pay you to send your people home for an additional day during the week. This is another example of dumb central planning. I don't need the government spending tax money to tell me how to operate my business from a scheduling perspective. It is just crazy the more you see this stuff, what else can they, can they dig up? In the state of Mississippi, there's a bill that would permit gambling at the airport. You seen that one? Slot machines. It's a bill proposed by State Senator John Polk, SB2189. It would allow slot machines in airports. The bill says any airports that offer passenger service in the state that want to provide slot machines will be subject to license, of course, and they would be under the purview, the oversight of the Mississippi Gaming Control Act, which, of course, implemented, uh, established the Gaming Commission. I thought that was interesting. Slot machines in the airports. The mobile sports betting, I think that's there. I think a bill has come out that is exploring it, so it's getting some traction as well. Strong lobbies. Anytime you see these things that just make sense, you know there's strong lobbies behind those, like the CON, like the vehicle, like the mobile sports betting. Stepping aside for a break, another segment, and then Representative Fred Shanks. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you for joining us on Middays. It's 
A rainy and uh, chilly day out there. It's not fit for man or beast, as I say. So I just got notification from the Mississippi Lottery Corporation here, Rhino. You seen this? The the match five jackpot, I believe, is way on up there, seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and a drawing will be conducted tonight at nine thirty p.m. Those drawings are held three days a week on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So strong sales of the Match 5 tickets has boosted the jackpot up into the stratosphere. Almost three-quarters of a million dollars. Yeah, pretty close to that. Uh, Yeah, lots of texts rolling in on the ceasefire text line early this morning uh, or earlier when we started the program. Get the paddle out. You're speaking to me, Gerard. Laugh out loud. That's on the 731. Where would that be, Rhino? 731? Yeah. Not sure. On the 601, the ceasefire text line. The CBO, Western Tennessee. Okay. CBO, but not including Memphis. Okay. But it's raining a lot up there. Oh, yeah. CBO estimates are never even close. Always miss the mark. Agree. We never go back and look, look at them, though, do we? I totally agree. Jared says, I bet my wife's battery will last decades. She runs it to zero all the time. Her phone's always dead. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Curtis and Biloxi talking about the how innovation disrupts, says mother necessity. Enough said. Yeah, the, the market. The market is the only fair arbiter of the dynamics of the exchange between buyers and sellers. That's what made this country so dang great. Other countries did not adopt that principle. It seems like we're just working overtime across the country to shift away from it as well. I'm totally confident that these auto dealers, they they'll repurpose their businesses. And and somebody told us, and they're absolutely right, that, you know, these things are still going to break. There's still going to be the need for service. I agree. Now, it may be a, a diff, come in a different form, may have less of need. I'll give you an example. Mechanical hard disks versus solid state. Mechanical hard disks, just by nature, they fail. It's gravity. It's friction. They just fail. They're destined to fail. Solid state, HDDs, SATA drives, hmm, electronic, memory, fairly permanent. Not saying they don't fail. It's pretty unusual, though. How many times, for example... At a lot slower rate than the physical hard drive. Yes, not even remotely close. They call that the MTBF, the mean time between failure. It's a fraction of what it is for a mechanical spinning disk. How many times have you dropped your device... And the storage is still fine. Your laptop. Physical, uh, pardon me, mechanical hard drive may not come up. Head bumps the platters. You don't know where it hit on the platter. Exactly right. Done. That's just an example. So we don't need hard drive repair people. We don't have to replace our hard drives all the time. The people that make those mechanical hard drives, we don't need them anymore. Or the factories. And... Gosh, I remember, you know, as a youngster in the business, we couldn't wait for the day that the scientists would figure out a way to produce secondary storage that was as efficient, as fast, 
and as reliable as primary storage, which is electronic. So all we've really done is extend that, the memory, to your secondary storage. That's all we've done. Look at your dang phone. What can you get now? Like a terabyte or two on your phone? It's a lot, isn't it? I mean, it? just look at the processing power. I mean, I'm using computers that have a single core, a single processing unit. And their computer, like, literally, I'm looking at all these screens, and every single one of them is connected to a single processing unit. Whereas now they have laptops that are running eight cores, and it's just everyday average laptop. Yeah. All, all of that, and, and the point there is, while maybe some occupations were rendered no longer needed, think about all the new ones that popped up. Oh, yeah, go back far enough, look at how many electronics or how many devices used tubes. Yeah. I remember the TV repairman coming to my house with his suitcases full of all those tubes and flipping that TV around, and they'd open it up, and it was just nothing but about a thousand tubes, it seemed. Is it this one? There was no diagnostics. They just keep, just keep hunting and pecking, just testing. Is it this one? No. They turn around on the screen. <laughs> Is it on yet? And, yeah, we don't need that anymore. We don't have tubes and TVs. And TVs don't fail that much. So we don't need TV repair. We don't need radiators. I guess there's a million examples of this. I guess the streaming services are going to render cable. And all the people that work at the cable companies, all of which are franchised in locales, maybe they're no longer needed. We're already seeing that all the time. Unbelievable how all this changes, and we we got to run with it. It's better. It's best for society. Coming right back with Representative Fred Shank. Super Talk Jackson. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, our good friend, Representative Fred Shanks. He is a fine representative for Rankin County in the House of uh, Representatives, and he also chairs the Constitution Committee in thank, the House. Thank you, Gerard. I'm glad to be here. And uh, obviously, the the big talk of you know what's going on at the Capitol is uh, you know yesterday was qualifying deadline so yeah everybody's trying to figure out you know who's running who's got opponents who doesn't and and all that so it's been a been a lot going on the past day or two lots of uh lots of bills a little, oh, a little yeah. more than we thought a few more yeah. than we thought <clears throat> it was a, a record this year for a, an election year and i believe at one point the speaker had you know 14 1500 bills on his desk in in a day that he had to go through yeah. but i know it was a, it, it set a record for you know this year that they've never had that many before on an election year i i thought it was i didn't expect it yeah. i put it that way i don't think most people did but a lot of those bills 
Representative Shanks, when you look at them, honestly, I sort of scratch my head sometimes. Well, do <laughs> yeah. we need this? <laughs> There's going to be more than a few of those. <laughs> You're exactly and, and, right. And that's feedback yeah. I've gotten from members. That's yeah. just not me that has you know, seen that. So... Um, it, well, it's it's hard to keep up with a bill, and you know if you just either whether like you would ask me about a bill or if it was one of my own bill, it's hard to keep up with you know three or four bills you know through the whole system. Yeah. So too many. That's in right. My view. We need to we need to calm that down a little bit. So one of the things I want to ask you about is the the citizen ballot measure process. <laughs> So, as I understand it, you you didn't do a bill in the House. Correct. We did one last year, and uh, we just kind of dug our feet in the ground, and that was our position this time, um, and really put it on the Senate to come out with a bill, which we felt good about. We we have been working with them on it, um, even you know in the off season, and and until they brought one out the other day, um, we've just. We're going to let them do it this time. Have you taken a look at the at the Senate bill? I talked to uh, the Speaker about this uh-huh. when he was on yesterday, and and he had and he's been focused yep. on House bills, and I, I understand that. Have you taken a look at that? I have glanced through it and and hit a few of the high points on it, and uh, <clears throat> I've not dug into it just yet because we have, I think we passed about fifty bills yesterday, <laughs> but I, I have kind of hit the high points. Well, best I can tell, this really doesn't – it's a bill that doesn't have any teeth in it and that you could – certain citizens could uh, collect the requisite signatures and get a measure on the ballot, and the people could vote and approve that measure, but it's not actionable by the legislature. It's just sort of a recommendation. They're kind of serving as, a, as an advisor to – Correct, <laughs> correct. That's, that's I, what you're understanding? Uh, that's the way I read it, and um, you could – Pretty much do that without signatures, really. If it, well, who's going to spend any money doing that? Yeah, I, I don't see any. But on the positive side, it is you know we do have, uh, you know, foot in the door and a, and a vehicle to really get to work on it. It so, made it out of committee, absolutely. So I think, that and, and look, that's a that's a hard thing to do. I know, that, you know, if you're not in there, it's a, it's complex and it's a it's it's a very quick procedure. You know, lots going on, but you know, hey, it came out of committee, so you know that's a that's a big positive. Yeah, ex- ex- explain that to the folks. Just that process, and, and okay. you're right; it's a little more of a bar than it appears. Well, at f- the first thing you do is you have an idea, uh, whether that's yours or somebody in your community came to you. Um, you you take it, you you draw the bill up, you meet with our our law staff. Yeah, uh, they'll check maybe with other states. And write a bill up, and then you'll you'll get the bill in your hand, and you will actually what we call drop the bill, which you actually put it in like a mailbox <laughs> on the house floor. From there, it goes to the speaker. He assigns it a committee, and then it has to make it through the committee and be voted on. And once it does that, it comes to the house floor. If it makes it through the house floor, then it will go to the opposite side, and it goes into the Senate committee, Senate floor. And then after that, we'll have a conference week where you kind of iron out the details, discuss it further, fine-tune it, and then ultimately it makes it through all that, which is extremely hard, it goes to the governor. Yeah, and, and so the big thing is getting that thing out of committee so right. that at least it could be debated and uh, up for a vote. 
And what you really want in the respective chambers is to get it through your house so it gets transmitted to the other, and they may mark it up and have some amendments to make, and then you end up in conference to sort those out. That's where you learn who really likes who. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, one other thing, you know, I had a bunch of the the old guys tell me when I got in there, they said, Fred, look, nothing's dead until it is dead, 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 <laughs> three times over. So things can always come back. Well, that's, so. a, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and I think that would certainly apply here in that it's, it's a less than optimum bill. It mm-hmm. certainly doesn't resemble to any large extent what uh, you passed in the House last year and that's through great. your committee. But as you said, it did get through uh, the committee mm-hmm. in the Senate. And so you got something that at least you can negotiate and and talk about, and that, I think that's that's important. Uh, I did run into Senator Nicole Boyd, mm-hmm. and I asked I just happened to ask her in passing in the hall about it. She said it got out of committee, so there was I understand some degree of of elation from her. I think she supports yeah. some process. But it, but when you read the details of it, uh, and so I said, well, what about the the uh, signature threshold? Did that change? Well, it just got out of committee because <laughs> I read that, and there's there's still the two hundred forty thousand, yeah. the twelve percent of the, of the registered voters requirement, as opposed to twelve percent of those who voted in the last gubernatorial election. But then when I I dug into it some more, it's like, well, this is just kind of a a recommendation. Uh, yeah. To the legislature again, not not actionable. Would not require uh, that the legislature enact it into law after it passed on that, the, on the ballot. I don't think this is what people want here, Representative Shanks. Well, I, on all the groups that I speak to, they they really did like our plan last year. For, uh, for the most part, and uh, I talk to all the groups, all, all the, the the grassroots, all the way up to the, the big corporate groups who want it, and you know they really liked our bill. I, and I stood strong on it, and I, I'd like to continue to do that. And uh, you know we, we're going to kind of see how talks go. Yeah. Well, the point of it, as you know, is to kind of get something done that the people feel like the legislature is not responding to. And if the people say this is what we want, it seems like we ought to yield to that. Now that. That, that's the one side. The other side is we don't want this, as the Speaker said yesterday, we don't want this to turn into California where we've got you know, uh, a thousand propositions that make their way to the ballot. Yeah. That kind of hurts your head even, even thinking about it. So, uh, well, we'll see. So it's, this is really just a, the citizen-initiated suggestion. <laughs> we just put a box <laughs> out the Capitol and drop suggestions yeah. in it for that. Well, right now. But, hey, we're, we're, we're going to work on that. Okay. We're going to work on that. I so. got you. All right. What else in, in your committee have you been uh, working on? That's it in my committee in Constitution. Yeah, so uh, we, we've, like I said, we've got a record number of bills out. And, uh, you know, big the big thing we're pushing is total elimination of the income tax. Yep. Uh, then we had uh, – you know, and the other kind of controversial issue that we're working on uh, is going to be the <clears throat> doubling the size of the capital complex as well as installing a judicial its own judicial district. So yeah, the CCID I, yeah. may be the most contentious, controversial. Absolutely. It's drawing a lot of attention from folks in Jackson. Right? Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> the other day I, I parked right up front out of the, at the Capitol, and there was a big protest. Uh, probably a hundred people. Uh, of course, the Jackson mayor was there speaking when I got out of my car. So, yeah, it's very much so. Uh, but I will say, Capitol Police is. 
that's the one thing that's working in the city of Jackson. I agree. And I think a lot of people will agree with us on that. I totally agree. So, there. hey, if we expand it, I think it would just be even that much better. Well, I'll share this with you. You and I have, have attended some of the same events within the Absolutely. Capitol Complex. And and it's night, and, and the streets aren't very crowded. There's not a lot of folks around, but we've attended these events. You know, when you're you're kind of getting in that direction, I'll have to admit, I'm a little concerned, you know, just kind of looking over my shoulder. But when I get, when I approach, I see Capitol Police vehicles. That's right. Staffed with the lights on, typically more than one. Honestly, my my fears are laid to rest at that point. You feel the same? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love seeing those uh, Durangos drive by. I agree. Yeah. It, it makes you a lot more comfortable. And we should be able to go to the, the capital city and, and hang out and go to functions. Absolutely. I mean, it's there. We, we, need to, we need to take advantage of it. we got a break. You can hang around, can't you? Yeah. we got Representative Fred Shanks in the Element Well Studios coming right back. Keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. with you in the Element Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi on this Friday Eve. A rainy, chilly one out there. Representative Fred Shanks, our guest in the Element Well Studios. So we're just talking about all the bills making their way through the process down there at the Capitol. Just a few. <laughs> just a few. What do you think about uh, the, the final field for this year's election? Oh, uh, I, it, it was ex- kind of what I had expected. You know, we talk about it quite often. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I had a feeling McDaniel was going to get in, yeah. um, and, which he did. Yeah. And uh, Presley, of course, we'd been hearing about that. So, uh, you know, the, the one I was wor- <clears throat> kind of wondering was if uh, Waller was going to get in yeah. or not. You know, I didn't, he told didn't know. us Monday, did yeah, he? Announced right. Monday that he would not. So uh, pretty expected, I guess, kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a – hey, Neshoba is going to be awesome. It's going to be fun, <laughs> It's it? going to be fun. I'll, <laughs> I'll be front and center on that one. <laughs> uh, I have a good seat under the Super Talk tent that's there right, for a that's couple right. of days. I'll, I'll come hang out with there you. There you go. All right, what about you? You got an opponent? No opponent. I uh, got Woo-hoo! through unscathed, and I really appreciate the people sending me back. And uh, 
yeah, it's just the the weights are kind of lifted at this point. You know, everybody's you know obviously nervous about that, and um, you know, so now you can just hey, the the weights are off. You can just focus on 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 the business of the people until it's over. You you don't know. I was down That's there, right? right? I That's was down right. there Tuesday, and uh, I ran into a couple. Who said oh, I just got an opponent. You know, yeah, it's, it's um yeah. What one of my colleagues? He got one. Uh, of course, deadline was at five, and I think at four. Four four thirty, he got one. Wow! So yeah, I mean it's it's to the last minute. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for governor, uh, we discussed this a little bit yesterday with Henry Barber. It looks like we've got three running as Republicans besides the incumbent governor Tate Reeves, John Witcher, David Grady Hardigree. Okay, I'm not familiar. And then uh, three Democrats, of course, topping that list would be Brandon Presley and, of course, a Gwendolyn Gray, an independent. Okay. See, I think she's run before. It, it, like. it does sound familiar. Yeah. So, and then we got, of course, incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. He'll face uh, a stiff primary with three opponents in the primary. Including Shane Quick, whom I think has run before. He has. In, the I, office. in fact, I think we were at a function several right. years ago. That's right. And I remember he got up at that particular function. You you got, I think, 15 seconds on the clock, yeah. and you better say what you had to say. <laughs> and I, I remember him being there. I do too. Tiffany Longino, and then, of course, State Senator Chris McDaniel, one Democrat for Lieutenant Governor. That's D. Ryan Grover. And at uh, the 11th hour there, Attorney General Lynn Fitch drew a Democrat opponent, Greta Martin. Michael Watson, of course, we already knew, no Republican challengers, but Shawaski Young is a Democrat, was on the program earlier this week. David McRae, our our state treasurer, drew a Democrat opponent as well. And then um, four Democrats will take on Ag Commissioner Andy Gibson. Etc. So I I don't no big surprises. Now, it, you know, one thing on on Andy is I saw one of the uh, uh, the people that signed up was 18 years old. I saw that. So we actually had a conversation about yeah. the group text about that yeah. this morning, and apparently there's not an age limit for someone running for ag commissioner. Oh, you mean yeah. it only applies to the other offices? Yeah, all the other ones, yes. But for whatever reason, that one there's there's no age limit. I think the the number the 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 statute number sixty five one dash one. I'll be done. Yeah, we looked it up. It's crazy, huh? So we have an eighteen year old, correct, running to be the act commissioner. That's correct. Has uh, that individual graduated from high school yet? <laughs> that I don't know. That would be that'd be interesting. I'd want to know. But they gonna have to get a leave of absence <laughs> to do that. I mean, seriously, yeah. I, I don't know. Would like to know more about that. So, uh, anything that stuck out to you? In the the legislative seats, in the House and Senate, any surprises there? No, no real surprises. Uh, you know, most of the, uh, not really that I can think of. Okay. I, no, yeah. The one that I I noted was, um, I believe Michael Cassidy, right, is That's running right. for the seat that's presently no he's going to be the sheriff running for yeah, sheriff yeah michael ted evans is running he's running for in sheriff the Neshoba county area that's district. right and cassidy he signed up yesterday right yeah, yeah i heard that it was interesting and and he of course uh, ran for the third congressional district mm-hmm. seat was a republican candidate that challenged uh, incumbent michael guest that's right and so that wasn't too long ago the other 
um, shift, I guess, that caught my eye is Representative Steve Hopkins from DeSoto County is running for a Senate seat. That's right. Will take on the, the seat currently held by Michael Senator Michael McClendon. That's right. And then uh, just to one more on that, uh, Robin Robinson is going to run. That's for, right. She's swapping over and going to run for the Senate. I think at McDaniel's seat. I think that's yeah. uh, Senator Chris McDaniel's seat. Robin Robinson, yeah. of course, in the House yes. from that area. So well, that well, it ought to be fun. Yeah. We'll have a lot to do there. Huh? I'm, I'm glad I can just sit back and watch. <laughs> you don't have an opponent, you dog. Yeah. It's a little easier for you. I'll be helping some folks. Out. I know you. I'll will. be helping. I know you will. All right. Any any other legislation? We've been talking about the CON bill that uh, just has been championed uh, and always seems to get squashed yeah. in committee. It happened again this past Monday. I think it's about the fifth year in a row that I can recall a bill has been filed to do so. Doesn't make it out. I wish we could have a serious discussion about this I, and understand yeah. why the proponents are. I agree. So uh, dug in on that. You know, I know we had one in Representative Yancey's committee yesterday. And right. I was, uh, you know, I felt good about it, and then he and I had a brief conversation yesterday afternoon, and I uh, didn't make it out. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of perplexed on that. We were going to go back and kind of uh, talk about why, you know, that happened, but I thought this may be the year for it. I really did. Uh, the Medicaid expansion bills, they're all out of here. None, yep. of, those, none of those made it. I, I don't think the votes are there to pass that. No. I think we still have the postpartum Correct. bill, right? We do. Uh, the way I understand that one is that it's, it's uh, like a $7 million deal. To the state. Correct. So the total cost is $90 yep. million or $80 million or something like that. Yep. But, uh, but the federal government picks up just like it would with Medicaid That's expansion, right. That's 90% right. of that. And just from you know reading some articles and, and talking to my colleagues, I, mean, I think that one has a, a chance. A chance? Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it, Representative Missy McGee, I think. That's right. right. Is That's the right. author of that particular legislation. So we, we shall see where that goes. I was just talking about Senator Polk's bill in the Senate that would allow placement of slot machines at commercial airports, Rhino just informed me it didn't make it out of committee, right? Yeah, it died in committee. Died in committee. That's an interesting bill. Though. That is. Yeah, and then the, there's another bill that I think has a commission, um, the uh, the study of mobile sports betting. Okay. Now, I, I think that, Isn't that right? Casey Urey has a – That's it. Ha, he's got one. But, but I don't think it's a bill, okay. as, as I understood it. To, uh, to actually do it. Yeah, okay. to authorize mobile sports betting, it's to study it. Okay. it. It affected something else, I think, related to gaming, and there was a, a provision of it okay. that would commission a study. I think it's time uh, we, we get, get yeah. on with that. And lots of other states that mm -hmm. allow casino gaming have already done that as well. I think the lottery's next. Some other states have done that as well. How do you and, feel about that? Well, um, you know, there, there's a... Uh, an issue where I know the retailers would feel like that maybe it's encroaching on their mm -hmm. territory. I certainly understand and get that. But I, I think from the perspective of the uh, convenience to players, mm -hmm. I think you still have a lot they're, they're going to play and buy their tickets at a convenience yeah. store because they're there anyhow That's right. for, That's a, right. for a, a great case. So this is just – Similar to the vehicle bill, it's just another route to market. That's right. Honestly, That's right. and I think everybody can uh, can participate yeah. uh, in that market. I think it would grow sales of the lottery, honestly, yeah. without necessarily being at the expense of the traditional retailers. 
Well, I'd, so, I'd certainly like to hear more about that. Yeah, and maybe we, we phase it in to something mm-hmm. reasonable to see how that works. But certainly, we appreciate the retailers. We ended up with way more retailers than we ever thought we'd have, mm-hmm. and which has been a good thing. And we're producing way more revenue than we ever thought we'd have. Oh, it's it's been a home run. It's incredible. Absolutely. So, and hats off to the great work of the team at the Lottery Corporation and the, and the good bill we have. So... It's been a lot of fun. Anything else you want to add before you go? No, I'm good, man. I'm just glad to be here. Will you keep the peace down there with this CCID bill? <laughs> uh, let me see what I can do. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I, I'm glad we got the Capitol Complex law enforcement there. Absolutely. Me too. So me too. I don't want to see any shenanigans in our dang Capitol. I don't think we will. Good to hear. Representative Fred Shanks represents Rankin County unopposed in the upcoming <laughs> election. has been our guest. We're coming right back. Half an hour left on middays in the Element Well Studios. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Hendrix on the guitar there. That little riff sounded a bit like a, a grand funk tune. I'm trying to think of the name of the song. I have to look it up. But it's uh, very similar. So I'm just reading here. Uh, hot off the press here, Rhino. Representative Elon Omar. She's off. The Foreign Affairs Committee was a, a vote, a debate. Uh, today in the U.S. House of Representatives, just a few minutes ago, 218 to 211, a heated debate. And, of course, the Democrats accused the Republicans of mm, racism. That's the default, isn't it? You're not well, of happy? Of course. <laughs> they're just, they're in the permanent state of racist grievance. Couldn't have anything to do with her being anti-Semitic. Nah. Or bad-mouthing the country. Right. Or in just in general being a blithering idiot. <laughs> Remember what she said about 9-11? A, f- a thing happened. Remember that? I was so mad when I heard that. She says, I am Muslim. I am an, I am an immigration? That's the way it's quoted here. I am an immigration. Hmm. And interestingly, from Africa, is anyone surprised that I am being targeted? Oh, gosh. No, I'm not surprised you're being targeted because you're, you hate this country. You want to do harm to it. You cannot be trusted in this capacity. You compared this country 
in Israel to Muslim terrorists, or you accuse them of being terrorists, I should say. I think she equated them to, to Nazis, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that what you remember? Didn't she invoke that word in there somewhere? Of course she wouldn't say Muslim terrorists, because she doesn't think there's, that even exists. That's, that's Jerry Nadler when he was asked about Antifa. Oh, that doesn't exist. Representative Jerry Nadler. She says, is anyone surprised that I'm being targeted? Is anyone surprised that I'm somehow deemed unworthy to speak about American foreign policy or that they see me as a powerful voice that needs to be silenced? I got a feeling she won't be silenced. She just won't be on this committee. Tough tiddlywinks. This is crazy. So... I am, uh, but it was perfectly fine for Pelosi to clean house and get rid of all the Republicans. Oh, exactly. So you should know that Representative Michael Guest, he chaired the, uh, he led, I should say, led the debate on the House floor because he serves as chair of the House Ethics Committee. And he said Republicans are only following the, quote, roadmap previously approved. True story there, by the Democrat-controlled 117th Congress, which Democrats used to remove a Republican member from all House committees. Just because they don't like her. That's what that was about. I don't recall her going around equating this country to Nazis or describing 9-11 as a thing or calling for total dismantling of the police and emptying of the prisons. Not that that's related to foreign affairs. It just goes to show you what kind of character this person has. So I think Congressman Michael Guest will be on the show tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. That's tentatively, I think, scheduled. And we'll look forward to having that discussion with him about the proceedings on the ceasefire text line, electric cars cost twice as much money. When the battery goes out, it costs $20,000 to replace. And people who have electric heating and cooling may twi pay twice as much. How is a normal person even supposed to afford this? Plus, if everyone had electric, the electric grid would shut down. That sounds like a lot of reasons not to buy one. My recommendation would be don't buy one. But there are a lot of other people that want to buy one. That's the whole point here. Not to force one over the other. That's exactly what the Biden administration is trying to do. My feeling is that the government here in the state of Mississippi is trying to force the way you would buy such a vehicle. Not whether or not you can own one, but how you would buy it. That's the issue I have. So I hear all the objections. I know you do too all the time. I'm not saying those aren't valid. Well, then don't do it. It doesn't work for you. Simple as that. But... I think it's awfully naive to think that all those are not issues that will be addressed. And the reason they will be addressed is because the folks that make these things are investing hundreds of billions of dollars in it, and they're not going to fail at it. Now, there may be some startups that come up and fade away. That's just part of the natural seasoning of a new industry. But this will find its mark. It just will. And I believe in 10 years from now, we'll laugh at having this discussion. And you won't even recognize what the next generation will look like. 
just the same sort of progression you've seen in so many other novel product introductions. Same, same thing. Same evolution. It's just a new widget. Cars. Let's see here. Uh, there was a couple other. Why don't they say anything about politicians making millions with $200,000 jobs? That was from the other day. Pardon me. I don't know what that's about, though. That was during our show. Help us out. Ben from Madison says... Talking about hating on wealthy businessmen and women that oh, make their money. I got you. That's right. Sure were. you got to tax the rich, but don't you dare look at how I made millions with six-figure income. So true. Which uh, should also point out that there are a couple of bills in the Congress that would prohibit the trading of stocks by members of Congress and their families. One of these is called the Pelosi Act. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Pelosi Act. Is it uh, – who is it that introduced that? That's over on the Senate side. Somebody in the Senate introduced the Pelosi Act. Was it Hawley? I think it was. Josh Hawley, yeah. And that should be interesting to watch, the Pelosi Act. And it just would essentially ban the trading of stocks by members of Congress. I think a lot of people would like to see that. Uh, yeah, the Pelosi Act. Looking at that here. Yeah, it's Preventing Elected Leaders from Owning Securities and Investments Act, a.k.a. the Pelosi Act. <laughs> so you'd have to transfer your holdings while you were in Congress, a member of Congress, to a blind trust. It is Holly, is it not? Yes. Yeah, that's what we thought. So good. Well, and it's named after. Now, honestly, i got to tell you, I think it's inappropriate. I don't think you should have done that. I I agree that Nancy Pelosi probably has violated with impunity the insider trading provisions. It's a little borderline, but nonetheless, it's as they say, the optics just don't look good there, especially when you're the sitting Speaker of the House and you're already quite wealthy. That's not to say you don't deserve to go earn more wealth. Absolutely. Everybody does. But I don't know about naming it the Pelosi Act. I hope we don't start that. I, I get it, but it's cute there. It's good Senator. for the goose. It's good for the gander. I Democrats spend it. half their time wordsmithing the hell out of these titles. I know they do. Um, but uh, I, what is it California calls their, their prisoners, their incarcerated or arrested individuals, justice-involved people? You can't call <laughs> You've seen that. That's been out there over a year. Justice-involved people. People experiencing homelessness. <laughs> exactly. No, they're just homeless. <laughs> We're wasting time, energy, and breath. Just call a spade a spade. Oh, gosh. Not defending Omar, says Ben from Madison, but Marjorie Taylor Greene has her issues as well, right? And so the Democrats did exactly what the Republicans did. It's... It's the old turnabout is fair play. I think the difference, however, though, Ben, is serving on the Foreign Affairs Committee when you have the sort of attitude Elon Omar does is bothersome from a security perspective. I mean, it would it shock that she would commit treason against this country? Not me. Leak information she learns in that 
in those committee meetings that's confidential? Not me. What if she went and examined documents in the skiff? Do you trust that she wouldn't unload and debrief our most ardent foes? I really don't. I hate to say that about a sitting congressperson. You probably saw how they all got bent out of shape. Not all, but several Democrats yesterday over the requirement to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. You see that? They're making all these speeches about why we shouldn't do that. Wait, I thought you were a United States congressperson. What am I missing here? They want all the privilege and perks, but they don't want to put in the work. Correct. We're coming back with a final segment on Middays. Stay with us. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Some people call me the space cowboy. We're back in the Element Well Studios. It's Midday's final segment on the program today. What happened to the decrease in state taxes? There's still a bill out there for that, I believe, right? As far as I know. Yeah. Still going on. We need a lottery app like Kentucky's on the C Spire text line. I have seen that. But wait, weren't her remarks considered racist? Darren in Jackson says 100% of the terrorists on 9-11 were Muslim Islamic. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I just corrected myself, Darren, because a Muslim, one of the of the Muslim faith, I believe she is, right? Elon yes. Omar. I don't think she would agree with us. I mean, in her view, there are no such thing as Muslim terrorists. The terrorists are in Israel, in the U.S. Well, I mean, if it's the Republicans relying solely on racism to remove members of Congress from committees, then how do they explain removing Eric Swalwell? Exactly. He's a white dude. <laughs> he just so happened to sleep with a Chinese spy. He's, he's that cis, cis-heteropatriarchal or whatever. Something like that, but he's got a D by his name, so he skirts by. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, Sam from Mount Hermon wants to know why the mayor of Jackson is not in favor of any kind of help to combat the crime. So you may have caught it, folks. Uh, because he loves playing the role of victim. I have no doubt about it. And it, it to some extent, it's a, a sign of incompetence and failure on his part, which, which it is, and he has, and all those apply in this case. So you may know, folks, that the local uh, news outlets picked up our interview with Representative Nick Bain last week. First, I learned about it, right, on the show, because I questioned Representative Bain about the uh, authority the state would have uh, to seize control, essentially, just to overtake that district and incorporate it into the present, expanding the present capital complex improvement district. And uh, he, he advised us, he informed us that, yeah, the state does have that power under our Constitution. Cities, municipalities, counties are subdivisions of the state, authorized by the state. So we we learned something there. Well, he just indicated on the show, as you recall, that for all intents and purposes, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I do know that's how he prefaced his statement, for all intents and purposes, the city was uh, in support of this. Well, the local outlets went to the mayor 
having heard that, because you know a lot of them do listen to our program or go back and review it as archived, and, and Gallows as well. And went and talked to the mayor about it, the mayor said, well, he's just a liar. I didn't. That's what LaBumba said, Mayor LaBumba. So, I, you know, it could be maybe you just got caught that you were trying to do something here, and all of a sudden you see there's backlash on it. Now you jumped on the other side of that issue. That's probably more likely, honestly. I, I agree, though, Sam. I wish these politicians would check their egos at the door and worry about what's best for the people. That's what we elect them to do. My son lives out of state. He and his wife and their destination had their destination wedding in Jackson a couple of weeks ago on the ceasefire text line, of course. A lot of guests flew in and all stayed in the Fondren area, and all of the pre-wedding events were held in Fondren. It was comforting to all attending to see the Capitol Police patrol the area every five to ten minutes. Everything was great, and there were no problems. Thumbs up to Jackson. Appreciate you letting us know that. DJ in Summit wants to know, as more electric vehicles are used, will that over time raise price of gas and gas-powered vehicles? No, DJ, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite, right? Demand declines or increases for electric vehicles at the expense of traditionally uh, combustible engine-powered vehicles. You're going to see a decline in the pricing and the price of gas, because there will be less demand for it, less consumption of it. So, again, more options, more choices, more routes to market. Everybody wins. That's just the bottom line there. Now, if you're looking 50, 75, 100 years down the road, you very well could see the cost go up. Could Because be. at that point, it very well could be a novelty. Collector, collector's item. Vintage. Just as some of the... The, uh, the older vehicles are today, you know, a, a vehicle that's got all the tricked-up four-barrel carburetor and... and well, the perfect uh, example is the transmission. For the longest time, the cheapest option to get was a manual transmission. Right. Nowadays, if you can find a vehicle that you can get as a manual transmission, that's a premium feature. Right. And you will pay through the nose for it. It's true. Good point. Does the blind trust... It's talking about the Pelosi Act, the Act, and there's another one, I can't remember the name of it, that would prohibit uh, active trading and control of one's holdings while serving in the Congress and their families, uh, immediate families in their household, I believe. Does the blind trust stop one from providing insider information to, the, to those who manage the trust? Well, technically speaking, yet yeah, it does. Is it possible to police that? Not really. I, I mean, I don't know, honestly, how to answer that. I, I'm not so sure that most of the information that they're available of isn't just publicly available anyhow, honestly. But it's still, it's the optics of it. People don't like it. You need to stop it. We're out of time here today. Coming back tomorrow. Stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.